Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week's parasha is Chukat, and it is a an important transitional parasha uh, in the Torah, making, as we will see, the transition from the first years uh, in the wilderness to the last year in the wilderness, uh, preparing uh, ultimately for the entry into the land of Israel. Uh, but first, the very first part of the parasha, uh, before it deals with other incidents, uh, is an area of mitzvot, uh, a very uh, complicated, difficult, many cases impossible to understand, area of mitzvot, and I'm talking about the para aduma and uh, tumat mate. Uh, let's define the second uh, term first. Tumat met means uh, tumah, uh, ritual impurity, let's call it, uncleanliness that is caused by some kind of a contact uh, with a dead body. And that renders a person a tamemet. That person can make other things tamay. Uh We're going to talk about that type of tumah as well as uh, the process of leaving that state of Tuma, which lasts for seven days, and in order to do that, uh, it is necessary to prepare the para aduma, the red heifer. So the Torah starts off by telling us that uh, it's necessary to take a, uh, a cow, uh, a heifer, uh, which is entirely red. Uh, and not only is it entirely red, but it has never been worked uh, in any in any respect. Uh, all of the activities, all of the avodah uh, associated with the paraduma is done by the kohen. Um, th- if this uh, red heifer is uh, chosen, uh, then it is uh, slaughtered uh, outside of the mishkan. Its br- blood is sprinkled in the direction towards the mishkan, and then it is burned its ent- in its entirety outside of the mishkan. As it is burning, uh, one throws into uh, the burning uh, a piece of cedar wood, uh, azov, uh, which is a, a plant or a, uh, a wild plant of, of some type. Uh, sometimes you'll see it translated as hyssop, H-Y-S-S-O-P, but that's just an attempt to write the Hebrew word azov in English letters. Um, some people associate it with a spice called za'atar, uh, and also throw into it a red cord, that's all together. And uh, ironically, anyone who is involved in the process of preparing the paraduma becomes tamay for one day. So here we have one of the great paradoxes of the paraduma, that it will be used, as I will explain shortly, uh, in the process of making someone who was tamay tahor, but in the preparation of the paraduma, uh, it takes those who are tahor and makes them tameh. Uh, when we have collected all of the ashes of the paraduma, then if it is necessary to purify somebody uh, who has become tameh with contact uh, with the dead, so that person is tameh for three days. So you take uh, some spring water, uh, add some ashes on the top of the uh, water, uh, and then using uh, an azov uh, branch, uh, sprinkle this water with the ashes onto the person who's to become tahor, uh, 
um, or or uh, also uh, utensils that have become tahor because of contact with the dead. And the sprinkling is done on the third day and the seventh day. And this is part of the process that helps to make this person tahor uh, and will once again allow him to, let's say, go to the Beit HaMikdash uh, and the like. Uh, the Torah continues to talk about some details about of uh, this Tum'ah, uh, that it lasts for seven days, it can affect people and utensils. However, <clears throat> a tight-fitting lid on the utensil can prevent, can save the utensils, or at least the contents of the utensils. Um, and uh, by contact with the dead, uh, we're not only in, uh, talking about direct physical contact, uh, we're also talking about a type of contact uh, which is not uh, physical contact, but rather it's called ohel, a tent, namely that that one is, for example, under the same roof with uh, a dead body. So that also uh, transfers uh, tum'ah to the people and the utensils. But what can save the utensils uh, could be a tight-fitting lid. So this is a, a very difficult uh, mitz- set of mitzvot. Uh, ultimately, even the great uh, wise man, Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, was not able to understand it. Uh, but one thing is for certain, it is appropriate for this part of the uh, parasha, as we will see, because in the course of this parasha, we're going to learn about uh, some, uh, some famous deaths. As a matter of fact, uh, the first one is uh, is going to be mentioned right now, and that's the death of Miriam. The Torah points out that on the first day of Nisan, or the first day of the first month, which we call Nisan, in the fortieth year uh, of the of Bnei Israel being in the wilderness, that is when Miriam dies and is buried in this place in the place where they were at the time, a place called Kadesh, near the wilderness of Tzim, and. Uh, what uh, what this helps us understand is that between the time that it was decreed that this generation would not enter the land of Israel after the uh, sin of the spies, uh, and until this point, uh, it's possible that the only incident that we know about uh, is the rebellion of Korach, which we discussed last time. But other than that, we have essentially 38 years with uh, with no real uh, knowledge of what was happening. And then later on we do find out about their, uh, the places where they traveled, but uh, very little really about what happened there. But now we're entering the last year, the year before the entry into the land. Uh, God's will has been fulfilled, that the generation that left Egypt was gradually dying out, and the new generation uh, born uh, into freedom... Uh, is, is growing up and getting ready to take its place in order to lead uh, the entire people into the land of Israel. And so, uh, among the first events that happen is the death of Miriam, uh, one of the leaders of, uh, of the people. Uh, and uh, right after the death of Miriam, we're told that the people complain for water. And the connection between these two, uh, Chazal explained, is that as long as Miriam was alive, the uh, Bnei Israel were given a miraculous well of water that would travel with them, and it did so in her merit. But when she died, uh, that stopped, and uh, that's why the people now complain for water. Hashem says <coughs> to 
uh, Moshe to assemble the people uh, next to a certain rock. This may be the very same rock that had been producing water uh, while Miriam was alive. Uh, and to speak to the rock, to essentially command the rock to obey the will of God and to produce water. Uh, Moshe assembles the people, and instead of speaking to the rock, he says to the people, shall we bring forth water? It makes it sound like, is it possible? And he strikes the rock twice. And, of course, water does come out because the people need water. But Hashem says to Moshe and to Aharon, uh, you will not enter the land of Israel uh, because you failed to sanctify me. You had an opportunity to demonstrate that if uh, an inanimate uh, rock will obey the will of Hashem, then certainly we uh, human beings should. Uh, but that opportunity was missed, and therefore Moshe and Aharon will be punished. They will not enter the land. And uh, this place is called Meimeriva, the waters of strife. Because first, B'nai Israel uh, were quarreling about it, and it also uh, portends uh, evil for Moshe and for Aharon. As they, um, as they travel uh, some more in the area around the land of Israel, they encounter Edom. Remember, Edom is a nation that descended from uh, Yaakov's uh, twin brother, Esav. So they're really uh, brother nations. And Moshe sends a message to Edom. He says, we have returned uh, from Egypt to claim our land. Edom lives outside of Israel, lives in a place called Seir. Um, uh, so we are here to claim our um, claim our portion in the land of Israel. Uh, just allow us to pass through your land in order to go to uh, in order to go to our land. And Edom says, you shall not pass through. Israel offers to pay for uh, for water if they uh, if they take any water. Um, but Edom is adamant. Uh, and refuses to allow them <coughs> to uh, to pass through, and therefore Israel has to travel around Edom uh, in order to get to a place called uh, Hol Hahava to Mount uh, Mount Hol. Uh, on Hol Hahava uh, is the place where Aharon will die. So the next uh, leader uh, to die during this uh, during this time. Uh, Hashem says that Aaron the Kohen Gadol will die. He will be buried on Mount Hol, on Hohahal. Uh, but first, the uh, office of Kohen Gadol will be transferred from Aharon to, uh, to El Azar, to the oldest of his two surviving sons. Um, and so the Torah describes how three ascend, Moshe, Aharon, and El Azar ascend. Um, and uh, the Torah also describes that Moshe uh, takes the special garments of the Kohen Gadol, the special vestments, takes them off of Aharon and puts them onto uh, Elazar. And then uh, we are told that Aharon uh, dies. And when the people realize this, they mourn for Aharon for 30 days. He's a real uh, loss to uh, B'nai Yisrael. And we'll talk more about that at the end. Um, then we find out that considering where B'nai Yisrael are at the time, uh, the neighboring nations see this as an opportunity to attack. And the attack comes from Arad, which is in the south. 
and they take a captive. They actually take uh, a captive from uh, the children of Israel. And it's at this point that uh, Israel swears that if Hashem will help us, then we will destroy these uh, people who have attacked us. And Israel is victorious, and they push the uh, the Canaanites back to a place called Chorma, which means destruction. Uh, one of the things that this shows is that this generation seems to be uh, ready and uh, and willing to take responsibility for the future by going to war themselves, not to com- not complaining quite as much. But there are some complaints. Uh, we learn later on uh, in the parasha that Israel complains complains again, um, and this time the way that Hashem punishes them is by releasing poisonous snakes uh, which uh, bite many of the people and many of them die. Uh, And that's when the people uh, turn to Moshe and say, we were wrong, please pray for us. And Hashem tells Moshe to make a snake and put it on top of a pole. Uh, And whoever looks at the copper snake uh, will be cured of snake bite. Uh, And the point is that it's not the uh, copper snake that does it. It's the looking above, in other words, thinking about Hashem uh, and directing one's prayers uh, to Hashem. That's what uh, uh, makes the uh, the snake bite be uh, cured. The Torah continues uh, by telling us about the travels on the outskirts of another nation, Moab and Emori. Moab, remember, is uh, one of the nations that come from uh, Lot, who was the nephew of Moshe. Um, and um, the Torah even records for us some songs, some poems, that people used to recite in those days to celebrate uh, these events or these places. They find the well and they sing to the well and they're grateful to it, to Hashem for having provided them with a well. We learn uh, further about uh, about the actions um, of Bnei uh, Israel as they continue and uh, as they travel. In the end of the parasha, uh, we have uh, wars between uh, Bnei Israel or Am Yisrael, the army now of Israel, and other nations that are on the outskirts. Uh, one is Sichon, the king of the Amori, and Og, the king of Bashan. These are in the northeast. And uh, then Bnei Israel um, encamp uh, right across from Yericho, from Jericho. In other words, they're on the other side of the Jordan River. Uh, presumably from that side it's possible to see where Yericho is, but they're on the other side of, uh, of, the, of the area. In order to, they can see from there, they can see Yericho. So there's a, a great deal that happens in this, uh, uh, this parasha. Uh, and uh, I'd like to go back to the section of the parasha that talks about the death of Aharon. Okay. So we are told that on the boundary of the land of Edom is where Ho Hahal, where Mount Ho is. And that's where Moshe says, uh, where Hashem says rather to Moshe and Aharon, now Aharon is going to uh, be gathered to his people, he's going to die. And uh, he says, you have to do it now. You're not going to go into Eretz Yisrael because both of you, both Aaron and Moshe, uh, disobeyed Hashem uh, when it came to the waters of Miribah, which we just uh, learned about. 
And then Hashem instructs Moshe to take Aaron and uh, and his son Elazar, and then to uh, strip Aaron of the special uh, vestments of the Kohen Gadol, and put them on Elazar to uh, invest him uh, with the office of Kohen Gadol. And that's when Aaron will die. So Moshe did uh, as Hashem commanded him. Uh, as we just uh, described, all three of them went up the mountain. Uh, Moshe take, took the garments off of Aaron and put them on to Elazar. Uh, and then uh, the, the uh, Moshe and Elazar come down from the mountain, and everybody can see that Aaron has died, and that's why Israel uh, mourns for him for 30 days. Uh, I'd like us to look at some of the insights of Rashi into these uh, sukim. When it says, take Aharon, kachat Aharon, Rashi says here, as he says in many other places, that sometimes kach doesn't mean to pick something up with one's hand, uh, but rather to use words in order to persuade. And uh, here, with the case of Aharon, uh, Moshe is being told to try to convince Aharon uh, to do this, and the words of comfort that he is to offer him is that you, Aharon, will actually live to see your office of being Kohen Gadol passed on to your own son. Many uh, important people die uh, at the end of their lifetime without knowing uh, what is going to happen to their uh, legacy. But Aharon is assured. Uh, Then, uh, strip him of his his garments. And once again, the Torah is talking about uh, the garments of the high priesthood, the Kohen Gadol wore four garments that no other Kohen, uh, indeed no other person, but not even a Kohen uh, would wear, and these are four garments that contain uh, gold, uh, plus the four white garments made of linen that made the Kohen Gadol very similar to uh, the regular Kohen. So, uh, he, he uh, Moshe uh, clothes his brother Aharon, uh, in these, and um, and what he now is supposed to do is to take them off of Aaron and put them onto Elazar while Moshe, while Aaron would be able to uh, watch this. And Moshe instructs Aaron, go into the cave. He enters, and there is already a bed made uh, for Aaron. In other words, something for him to lie down on. And then Moshe uh, instructed him, ascend the bed. He ascended. Uh, stretch out your hands, he stretched them out. Close your mouth, and he closed it. Close your eyes, and he closed them. And that's when Aharon's soul departed him. And uh, this seemed like a very, very peaceful death. Uh, it's almost like, uh, as I'll say, it looks like he was just being kissed, and his neshama was taken uh, back from him. Um, and that's why uh, Chazal add, and Rashi says this as well, that Moshe uh, uh, longed for a uh, death to be like this. This was the type of death that he wanted for himself. And indeed, that is what happened. Um, the Torah go- then goes on to say that Moshe did as he was told. Uh, why say that? Don't we always assume that he does uh, as he is told by Hashem? Well, what's special here is he's bringing his brother to die. Uh, so therefore, it's very, very difficult to do, no doubt. Uh, and the, Rashi says the Torah's point here is that despite the fact that it was difficult, uh, he went ahead and, and did it. Um, he did not delay. Then, uh, after Aharon dies, 
and only Moshe and Elazar come down. So when they saw, uh, they even asked, "Where is Aaron?" And they told him, uh, they told him that he is dead. But the people don't want to accept this at first in this uh, in this midrash that Rashi is quoting. Uh, they said it's impossible. Aaron uh, is one that we saw uh, conquer death, overcome death, and that uh, actually is in last week's parasha when uh, Hashem started to punish the people with a plague uh, because they uh, they didn't obey Him, and um, and also because they said that uh, Korach and his followers died uh, unjustly, uh, and so there was a plague. And Moshe told Aharon at that time. Take the Ketorah, take the incense, and uh, circulate among the people and make this as an offering to Hashem, and then Hashem will be appeased. And that is what happened. Uh, so now, uh, when the people are told that Aaron is dead, they don't think it's possible, because Aaron uh, was able to go among the living and the dead and to stop people from dying. So how could the angel of death have any power over Aaron? So Moshe prayed for some help, and the, uh, what the angels did was they showed uh, they showed uh, Aharon to everybody that he was lying in the, on his on his bed. In other words, they all knew that at that point that he had actually uh, died. But until they saw it, uh, they were prepared not to believe it. And finally, the Torah tells us that when Aharon dies, uh, everybody cries for him. Call Beit Yisrael, the entire house of Israel. What's the point of emphasizing this? Rashi says it means everybody, men and women, uh, and uh, the reason why men and women uh, appreciate, appreciated uh, Aharon so much is because he was the great pursuer of peace. Um, he actively sought out ways of making uh, uh, Aharon sought out ways uh, to make people make, uh, make amends. Uh, if a husband and wife were having an argument, he found a way to reconcile them. And so, uh, people uh, throughout the Israel, including um, husbands and wives, really appreciated what Aharon had done for them and uh, truly uh, felt his loss uh, now that he wasn't there. Aharon would pers- promote, would pursue peace and promote love between people who are having an argument and between husband and wife. Aharon, Ohev Shalom, Verodev Shalom, the one who loved peace and pursued peace. I thank you very much for uh, joining me in this exploration of Parashat Chukat, in which we jump from the second year uh, since the Exodus and jump all the way to within the uh, the third the, uh, the the last of the years, uh, the fortieth year, uh, before they would enter the land. Uh, thank you again very very much. Uh, for exploring Chukat with me. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parashah Highlights and Insights saying Shalom.